Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a weekly podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Adam Payne, political editor at Politics Home, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the week's biggest political stories with Politics Home reporters and special guests from across Westminster. Today I'm in tremendous company. I'm joined by Politics Home reporter Noah Hoffman, Stephen Hammond, the Conservative MP for Wimbledon, and Dr Alice Lilly, Senior Researcher at the Institute for Government. As we are recording this, as we speak, the House of Commons debate on the Privileges Committee is about to get underway with a vote this evening. Now, the government is very much expected to win that vote, meaning that Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, will not be investigated by that committee of MPs over claims that he misled Parliament over Partygate, at least for now. That motion was tabled by Keir Starmer and the Labour Party, which the government responded to with an amendment of its own last night on Wednesday evening. Now, Alice, you've been delighting politics Twitter with your very handy (laughs) explainers of what it all means. Please can you explain verbally, in layman's terms, what's been going on these last few days? Where are we now? So... As you say, Labour put down this motion that is just about to be debated in the Commons. And this motion says that allegations about the Prime Minister potentially misleading Parliament should be referred to the Privileges Committee for investigation. And then they would come back and report to the House some point later. But then what happened is late on Wednesday night, the government put down an amendment to that Labour motion which essentially says the House won't make a decision on referring it to the Privileges Committee on Thursday. Instead, they will wait until the Metropolitan Police have finished their inquiries, until the Sue Gray report is published. And at that point, the House will then make a decision on whether to refer things to the Privileges Committee. So it could well be that at the end of today essentially nothing will have changed. (laughs) Sounds like quite a good summary of politics in the last uh, (laughs) few years. So Stephen Hammond, the government tabled that amendment last night, Wednesday evening. The government didn't try and kill this Labour plan altogether. It's what people are describing as a compromise. What to you does that mean? What does that show about what awaited the government today? Obviously, there was talk about Conservative MPs potentially abstaining on the Labour motion. Well, the Labour motion was a a cleverly worded motion because what it actually said in the second part of it, the first part of it detailed where they thought the Prime Minister had misled the House of Commons. The second part of it said there shouldn't be any referral to the Privileges Committee until after the Met Police had completed their... And it would be, I think, would have been quite difficult for a lot of colleagues, I think, to have voted against that motion. I certainly would have not voted against it because... We're not saying the Prime Minister's guilty, we're just saying he should be investigated. Therefore, I think the government realised that there were a lot of colleagues that would have been extremely uneasy about that. Uh, And they've put down a a motion which is a compromise, but is also still, I think, for a number of Conservatives, has some concern. So what they sensibly said is actually... The other piece of information people need to see is the Gray report, and therefore we want to see all the information. But what is not then happening is an immediate referral to the Privileges Committee, as the Labour motion would have put down, but actually is saying there'll have to be another vote of the House of Commons to refer to the Privileges Committee. And I think there are a lot of colleagues who think the intention of the government amendment tonight is the right thing, and it may well be that it wins very easily. But there are a number of colleagues who I think are still uneasy about transferring the when to an if. And that may well mean that there are 
a number of people who decide in the end to abstain tonight because I think what people are saying is, yes, okay, let's see all the information, but you are under British under the British system innocent until you're proven guilty. This is not saying by referring to the Privilege Committee that anyone is guilty. And also there's a difference, as Alice will explain to us in a moment, between the Privileges Committee and the Standards Committee, and they have different roles and different remits. And that's really quite important in this whole process as well. Before we come back to Alice, you talked about how your colleagues were feeling. Now, when me and Noah were talking to Conservative MPs who perhaps are very supportive of the PM, they were playing down the idea that there was going to be a large number of abstentions. What is your feeling of how many of your colleagues would have abstained had the government not tabled, let's call it this compromise amendment? It rather depends on what you call a large number, I suppose. But I think there would have been a, you know, what would have been certainly, it would have given you and your friends in the media a lot of fun uh, had, had, had that amendment not been put down. I think there were, as I indicated a few moments ago, and I certainly would not have voted against that motion. So I think I was reflective of an across the party, I think, concert unease that we were being potentially asked to vote against something that would appear to most people to be quite reasonable. So I think the government's amendment was certainly in a reaction to recognising that a number of colleagues were uneasy. No, I'm going to come to you in a second just to talk about what Conservative MPs are saying about the state of the Prime Minister's leadership, about his future, about the state of the party. But coming back to you again, Alice, two more questions about the technicalities of what's happening in the Commons, what has happened last few days. Firstly, Stephen made the point that the Privileges Committee is different to the Standards Committee. Can you explain that difference? And secondly, Chris Bryant, the Labour MP, who usually chairs the Privileges Committee, he announced yesterday on Wednesday that if in the unlikely event of the Labour motion passing, an investigation happening, he would not chair that investigation. Can you sort of explain why he did that? Mm. So the Privileges Committee and the Standards Committee, just to make things really complicated, are separate committees, but they have the same membership for the most part and the same chair. So the reason for this is that they used to be the same thing, And then back in 2013, there was a reform and that was to enable lay members to sit on the Standards Committee. And at that point, the two were split. And so the Privileges Committee has the same membership as the Standards Committee, just minus the lay members. And Chris Bryant chairs both of them. And they have slightly different remits, as Stephen said. So the Standards Committee focuses on issues around members' behaviour, the sorts of things that the Parliamentary Commissioner on Standards refers to them. The Privileges Committee has a more specific role, which is about investigating potential contempts of Parliament and potential breaches of parliamentary privilege. And potentially misleading Parliament is the kind of thing that would come under the remit of being a contempt. Now, in terms of why Chris Bryant recused himself from any potential investigation by his committee. This is something he said in a letter, and he said that the reason for that was that he, although he was confident in his abilities to judge any case fairly, he knows that he has made sort of statements in the past where his views about the Prime Minister and about the Prime Minister's attitude to accuracy have perhaps been very clear. And so he said, well, to avoid any sort of sense of impartiality, I will step back. Now, I think what's actually going on there is that it it comes back to to Stephen's point earlier, which is the way that Labour have played this motion is they have been very 
clever in that they have been trying to make it as painful and as difficult for Conservative MPs to vote against as is possible. And so by Chris Bryant recusing himself from any potential investigation, actually he's removing another kind of potential concern that Conservative MPs might have had about this process. And again, it's just about making that a really difficult decision. Noah, obviously the PM is in India today on on a trip. He won't be here to participate in the debate. Obviously, you and I, we chat to Conservative MPs a lot. And one of the things we talk about a lot at the moment is the PM's leadership. He lives to fight another day. We find ourselves saying that a lot at the moment. What have been Tory MPs been telling you about the PM's leadership, what it holds in store and why the party hasn't decided to oust him despite everything? Yeah, so across yesterday, I did speak to a range of MPs and insider contacts just to sort of gauge where the mood is at with regard to Boris Johnson's leadership. And there did seem to be a sense among the various sort of ideological cleavages within the party of fatigue with the party gate scandal and situation in general. MPs that I spoke to and contacts who had previously been sceptical of Boris Johnson's ability to lead the Conservative Party into the next general election expressed gratitude for his handling of the crisis in Ukraine. That was brought up quite a bit. People said the common rebuttal that now is not the time for a change in leadership and that Also, there is no viable alternative to Boris Johnson. And that was one line brought up by quite a lot of so-called Red Wall 2019 MPs. Some of them had seen Rishi Sunak as a potential successor, but the non-DOM scandal with regards to his wife has seemed to kill his future leadership prospects, at least for now. I'm not sure if that's you share that view, Stephen, but that was something that I was hearing quite a bit yesterday. So... With Ukraine, with Rishi Sunak, and with this sort of desire to retain seats in the next general election and the possibility of disunity compromising that, the opinions that were given to me was that they're just going to stay put for now, stay quiet. There's still potential scandals to come if more fines come in, but there was no major appetite from people I spoke to for big internal warfare to break out today. And there was nowhere near the sort of zeitgeist of the Owen Patterson scandal yesterday from the MPs and contacts I spoke to that there was back at that time. So there wasn't that same momentum, so to speak. But if we've learned anything of politics over the last few months, a few years, is that things can change very quickly. Yes. And I was speaking to a colleague of yours yesterday, Stephen, who was saying essentially what Noah said, that right now the mood is let's wait, let's bide our time, I think the words they used, was because the PM has received one fixed penalty notice. It's very possible he receives several more in the next few weeks. We have the local elections in early May. We have the Sue Gray report, the cost of living crisis is ongoing. The PM looks to be safe with his party for now, but the waters could get choppier quite soon. Stephen, the conversations you have with colleagues, where do you see the Tory party at the moment on this? A nice, straightforward question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, usually at this point, I say thank you for inviting me and head off out. (laughs) But being serious, I think Noah's right in that at the moment, we are two or three weeks away from local elections across the country. And I think what we want people to be able to do is to focus on local elections and local matters. Inevitably, we all recognise that if there is a complete breakdown in harmony 
and crisis of confidence at the National Party, it will potentially make it even more difficult for some excellent council colleagues across the country. So I think there is a very much a matter at the moment of people saying, not now. I also think that there have been a number of colleagues who have said, I want to see the full information. And over the next two or three weeks, as you've speculated, there may or may not be more news from the Metropolitan Police. We know the Grey report is written. So as soon as the Met Police say that they've completed their investigations, the Grey report will be published. I'm hoping that we can have a period of relative calm prior to the local elections, because you know I want to make the point, certainly in my local area, that I've got an excellent group of council candidates you know, who would run the council better than it's currently run. And therefore, a lot of people think that the time when life is going to get more difficult is after the May elections. And I don't know whether you've picked this up, but I think there are quite a lot of colleagues who are quite worried about what might happen after the Wakefield by-election. The Wakefield, you know, is a, is a red wall seat, three and a half thousand majority, which is six times the size of my majority and quite a lot bigger than quite a lot of red wall seats. And that will be, I think, a first sign of popularity in areas. You know, we've been saying for a long time, look at the seats we're winning in places we've never won before. Don't worry about some of the, the support drifting away in other areas. But if we see that support drifting away now, and I accept it's a by-election, and I accept the analysis that the IFG and others have done, which show that the Tories lost by-elections between 10 and 15, 15 and 17, 17 and 19, and still were the largest party afterwards. But I think it would be quite a concern to colleagues. If we didn't win that and win that well, then that might be some thought about you know, what we need to do to reassure those voters who came to us for the first time in, in 2019. Alice, I know the IFG, very wisely, I'd say, is not in the game of predicting things. Really. <laughs> uh, you, you tend to more explain things. But what's your sense of sort of the next few weeks, next few months, and where we could be going? I mean, everything is, is incredibly uncertain, which is a, a spectacularly unhelpful answer. But I think, as we've sort of touched on, if this government amendment passes today, and it looks as though it will, what we do is we kick this can down the road but the big unknown question is what's in the can and we don't know if there will be further fixed penalty notices we don't know what the met will say we don't know what the gray report will say nor when they will say those things nor the kind of political climate that all of that will happen in except for the fact that it will likely be after the local elections and so it feels as though politically the government has perhaps taken a bit of a gamble here which is a kind of let's not put our MPs in incredibly difficult positions in the run-up to those local elections. But the sort of flip side of that is that they don't know quite what will then happen. It might work out well for the government, it might not, and it's just not clear at the moment. So one word we've used a lot these last few years is unprecedented. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think the use of unprecedented has been unprecedented. <laughs> but can you sort of put in historical terms as someone who studies and writes about government and governance, what's going on at the moment with a prime minister who's received a fixed penalty notice, but also potentially later down the line, faces a privileged committee investigation into whether he misled the House? Yeah, and I mean, I think we got banned from using the word unprecedented in, in IFG materials for a while because it was just everywhere. <laughs> but I think this is obviously a, a very, if I won't say unprecedented, I'll say unique 
situation. What's happened to Boris Johnson is not something that has happened before. And I think this and the Owen Patterson affair sort of late last year, all of this is raising lots of questions generally about the kind of standards and the behaviour that we expect of all of our elected officials, all of our public servants, and about whether the mechanisms we have for enforcing that kind of behaviour are as effective as they might be. So I think that's one really important issue that's arisen. And again, it it doesn't feel like that's going anywhere anytime soon. I think perhaps the second thing that it's worth thinking about is that in Boris Johnson, you have a prime minister who in 2019 won a big majority. And it was easy to think after that sort of incredibly divisive Brexit parliament, okay, things are going to return to some kind of semblance of of political normality now. You would expect the government to kind of get its way most of the time. Actually, it's not been that clear cut. And the relationship between this government and its own backbenchers has at times really been quite kind of fraught. And I think to some extent, the decision of the government to put down this amendment to Labour's motion on Wednesday night is a bit of a sign of that. So it, it sort of suggests that the government can still run into trouble with its own MPs and it should not be taking their votes for granted. So Alice, I'll just interject there because as we've been recording, we've just had news from the WHIP's office that government is pulling their amendment and Conservative MPs are being offered a free vote on the Labour motion. Stephen, why is government doing this? Thank you for dropping another little bombshell, which I'm (laughs) now supposed to react to. I think uh, that... When I made my earlier remark about this, you heard me say that this was an if not when, and that was causing colleagues problems. Uh, And therefore, I suspect overnight that a lot of colleagues have done what I have done and looked at the wording. I saw the wording when I walked through the lobby last night and was shown it on a piece of paper by a whip and asked what my view was. And I said, well, I think it looks all right, but I'll need to have a look at it. And I actually texted that whip this morning and said, having had a I think that this isn't what I thought it was. Can you confirm what it actually is? So I am assuming that I am not unique in that regard and that others have done the same and have now decided that the best way is for the government to do what it could have done all the way along, which is to get itself out of a tricky position. And again, you may want Alice to explain that this is what would be regarded normally as a house matter as opposed to a government matter, and normally MPs are given a free vote on house matters. That didn't happen over Patterson, and I defied the government on Patterson as as widely known. So I think it probably reflects again that despite the attempt to try and find something that would appease enough people, enough people were concerned about it. So I am not clear what will happen today now. My best guess is there probably won't even be a vote now because I suspect that there'll be very few people who will be wishing to oppose this. If there is, then if it's a free vote, as I said earlier, I believe in the British principle that you're innocent until you're proven guilty, but it's perfectly acceptable to be investigated. So if there is a free vote, then I'll vote for it this afternoon if it goes to a vote. But my central guess now would be there will be no vote. And that... What one of the things I think the, the reason for the amendment last night was to try and buy enough support from the SNP and others so that they wouldn't have caused a vote today. Because I think the Whips office were very keen not to have any vote at all today. And I think that may well be a reflection on why this has been done as well, because I think this is likely to kill any prospect of a vote today. Mm. So the House of Commons will 
act as one, and that won't be a bad sign for the British public. Alice, what's going on? What's <laughs> absolute chaos? <laughs> if, if I'm going to have to do a third procedural thread this week, I might. I'm going to throw my laptop out of the window. I've got my laptop, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as Stephen says, so issues on things regarding sort of standards, behaviour, anything to do with sort of MPs themselves and their jobs are generally regarded as sort of individual matters and are free votes, and. As Stephen said, that is not what happened with Owen Paterson late last year. And so Conservative MPs were asked to kind of traipse through the division lobbies, vote for something that was politically very tricky. And then, of course, the government U-turned anyway. And I think that left quite a bad taste in the mouths of, of a lot of Conservative backbenchers. So it was really interesting earlier this week that the reporting was that on this Labour motion, the government was essentially going to do the same thing again, which was put Conservative MPs make them put their support for the Prime Minister on the record in advance of these local elections, and to do that while the Prime Minister himself is not even in Parliament and is out of the country on an official visit. And so it's understandable that that might not have gone down particularly well. And so I think then when you've got the government going from that position to then saying, we'll amend this to kick the can down the road, to then saying, no, we're not going to do that, we're going to have a free vote... That does not necessarily project an image, I think, of a government that feels particularly secure in its own kind of party and its own management of what is happening in Parliament. But isn't that partly because of what this is about? This, isn't, mm. this is not a party political policy matter, and therefore you know, it is a matter that a lot of colleagues have a lot of crosshairs, have a lot of conscience about and very grave concern about not only the prospect that a fixed penalty notice has been issued, which is is a statement in itself from the police about lawmakers and lawbreakers, but also I think there's clearly some concern about what has been said in the House of Commons and making sure that that is accurate because as you know, and I, you know, I've been a government minister, and I once said something inaccurate at the dispatch box, and I corrected it the following day, which is the normal procedure, because what is said at the dispatch box is government policy, mm. and it's therefore very important. And so I think colleagues are not saying that Prime Minister dis- uh, deliberately misled the House or whatever, but actually, from the Prime Minister's point of view, it may well be that the Privilege Committee well consider that he did not intend deliberately to misled. It's quite a high bar to actually say that someone deliberately misled the House of Commons. And so I I think part of what we're seeing now is is a reflection on all of that as well. Before another bombshell uh, (laughs) uh, rocks us, I'm going to bring it to a close there, but you can read about today's news and everything else going on in Westminster at politicshome.com and by subscribing to our newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right-hand corner of politicshome.com thanks so much to our guests on a very exciting edition of the podcast I think you'd all agree Politics Home's Noah Hoffman Stephen Hammond the Conservative MP for Wimbledon and Dr Alice Lilly of the Institute for Government our editor has been Laura Silver you can follow us on Twitter at, at Laura Silver underscore at Hoffman underscore Noah and I'm at at Adam Payne 26 Thank you for listening and please subscribe wherever you get your podcast to keep up to date. If you've enjoyed it, then leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, reach out to us on Twitter at, at Home or email us via news at